0: Welcome to Sights and Sounds, a yearly podcast series that features leading scholars and experts discussing some of New York City's most important historic places and institutions. I'm your host, Peter Christian Eigner, director of the Gotham Center for New York City History, which produces the show each fall for Open House New York Weekend. In this episode, Melinda Hunt talks about Heart Island, the small landmass that lies a half mile from City Island in the Bronx on the Long Island Sound. This is the largest municipal graveyard in America with over a million people buried here. But it remains a place of myth because until very recently, it has been inaccessible to the public. More importantly, it has been deeply stigmatized by the fact that the Department of Correction controlled it for more than 150 years, using prison labor to inter the dead. That's unfortunate because there's no reason to view the island or the cemetery itself as problematic. It's a natural oasis in the otherwise hyper-built metropolis, offering a site of peace and beauty for lost relatives and loved ones. And because it is a natural burial ground, it is also extremely green, providing New York City with a far more cost-efficient, sustainable means of burial than it could ever hope to replicate. And it's the last municipal graveyard too, giving those who cannot afford the increasingly high cost of funerals a public option that is extremely rare in the United States. While the Parks Department will begin handling business in October 2021, the cemetery's future still remains uncertain. Here, Hunt, the founder and leader of the Heart Island Project, which has spearheaded efforts to open this corner of New York to the public, recounts some of its history and the existential crossroads it faces today. To hear the rest of this series, visit us at gothamcenter.org or find us wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening.
1: Hard Island is located in the Long Island Sound, a half mile east of City Island in the Bronx. For over half a century, this 131-acre island has been New York City Cemetery. It's the largest municipal cemetery and the largest natural burial ground in America. Until recently, Hard Island was managed by the penal system, and the burials are deeply stigmatized by its long association with the Department of Correction. I began visiting Hart Island 30 years ago at the peak of the AIDS epidemic in New York City. I had just become an American citizen, and I wondered what happened to people like me, whose family live abroad, when we die. Many friends in the arts community had died as a result of AIDS. At the time, gay marriage was illegal, and those who died of AIDS couldn't be buried by their friends and lovers. I was looking for people I knew who might be buried on Hart Island. When I arrived on Hart Island for the first time, one week before Thanksgiving in November 1991, I was expecting to discover a very dark place. Instead, I discovered an island teeming with wildlife and small memorials left by short-term inmates convicted of misdemeanors such as turnstile jumping. They worked on Hart Island 16 hours a week. The burials were conducted on weekday mornings. And the inmates returned to Rikers at noon each day. I invited photographer Joel Sternfeld to collaborate on documenting Hart Island for a photography book that came out in 1998 titled Hart Island. Using a large format camera that shot 8x10 negatives, we were looking to retake Jacob Reese's first photographs from a century earlier. I wanted to show a place that was largely unchanged and it served as the burial ground three-quarters of a million New Yorkers. Today, over one million are buried. Many who died in earlier epidemics are buried on Heart Island. On our first visit, it was cold and rainy. After giving us a brief tour of the island, Captain Demiglia handed me the keys to a van, allowing me to drive around the island on our own to take photographs. We were instructed not to enter any of the abandoned buildings because they were contaminated with loose asbestos. Otherwise, there were no restrictions as to where we went and what we photographed. On subsequent trips, I was permitted to take my Toyota truck onto the Michael Cosgrove ferry. This is in stark contrast to the present-day access that requires signing a waiver and relinquishing phones and cameras on City Island while being herded into a prison bus and then driven by correction officers to burial plots on Hart Island. On February 7, 1992, we photograph the burial of 18 adults in a long trench at the southern end of Hart Island. Bodies to be buried are put in plain pine boxes at one of the city's morgues. They are released for burial by the medical examiner and arrive in a refrigerator truck soon after dawn for burial. Inmates mark the names of the deceased in magic marker on the side of each box. Then a grave number is carved using a router onto the wooden top. Burial permits are attached to the end of the box. All this information is recorded in a ledger book before the box is placed in position within a mass grave. Adult plots are organized into three sections of 50 boxes. Although many believe that a mass burial is a disorderly pile of bodies, Heart Island burial plots are organized so that the city can easily remove a body from within a plot without disturbing other bodies. The city will retrieve and return remains to families who did not agree to a city burial for free for up to 25 years. This service makes a huge difference to families living abroad who may not receive word about the death of a relative. Later that month, on February 27, 1992, We photographed the burial of 25 infants. Small boxes were stacked in rows four high, end to end, across the width of a trench that was 20 feet wide, 8 feet deep, and 50 feet long. Plot 53 eventually would contain 999 babies buried in roughly the area of a New York City brownstone. It was already three quarters full when we witnessed the tiny boxes placed in a trench that would remain open until May 19th that year. Infant burials are not organized into a grid because infants are generally very young and the parents know of their death prior to a city burial. One common belief is that people buried on Hart Island are mostly unidentified. In fact, only a small number of bodies are buried each year as unknown. The Office of the Chief Medical Examiner generally is able to store bodies for long enough to determine cause of death, identity, and notify family members. With the onset of COVID-19, OCME began storing bodies in freezer trucks to expand capacity and allow enough time for families to either make a private funeral arrangement or agree to a city burial. Consent in writing allows the city to avoid future disinterment. Today, all burials are with consent. The burial practice in New York City is distinct from other municipalities around the United States. It was developed by the Union Army during the Civil War following Gettysburg. It was used to quickly bury soldiers on battlefields such that they could later be disinterred and reburied in national cemeteries. The reason it was adopted in 1869 by New York City is that it allowed the city to keep track of large numbers of bodies and return them to their families upon request. Individual graves are much harder to keep track of, and individual burials take longer to perform and require more room. The common plots on Heart Island are the reason New York City has never run out of burial space in over 150 years. Ledgers are the key to locating a body within a plot. These were also used during the Civil War by the U.S. Sanitary Commission. They are still handwritten. In 2008, I requested 50,000 barrel records through freedom of information law and began working with volunteers to create an online database and storytelling platform known as Traveling Cloud Museum. The city then created a separate database in 2013, also based on the original ledgers. Separate transcriptions reduce the number of errors that are likely to appear in both databases. I was first shown the ledgers in 1992 after we photographed the burials of adults. Correction officers carefully listed all the information on the burial permits. Accuracy of the ledgers is critical to knowing where exactly each body is placed within a trench. The importance of this burial process comes into focus during epidemics. I witnessed it at the peak of the AIDS epidemic. In less than an hour, 18 bodies were placed in position in a trench and covered with dirt. This happened day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year for over a century and a half. Anything that is consistent over a long period of time is not random or haphazard. It works. When COVID struck New York, many people were surprised when I released a video on April fifth, 2020, showing the burial process. I did this because Mayor de Blasio was telling the media that people who died of COVID were not going to Heart Island. What appeared in the video was not new, it was just new to see it on television because the city hasn't permitted us to see the burials for the past 30 years. Even the number of burials last year is not extraordinary for New York City. Prior to COVID, DOC was burying one or two days a week. The ledgers indicate that during the pandemic, burials increased to five days a week. But when I started visiting Hart Island in 1991, During the AIDS epidemic, burials happened five days a week. The total number of burials last year was around 2,600. In 1918, it was over 5,000. What we have on Hart Island is a burial process that allows the city easily to expand the number of burials conducted and not run out of space. In 1794, an earlier potter's field that is now Madison Square Park filled with yellow fever epidemic victims in just two years. A new city cemetery opened at what is now Washington Square in 1796. These earlier potter's fields consisted mostly of individual graves that take more space than a common plot. These early public cemeteries closed quickly and became parkland. What is unique about Hart Island is that it is much larger geographically and involves a highly organized and much more efficient and secure system of burials. What made it dark for so long was the use of prison labor to perform the burials, and the lack of transparency as well of public visitation. How did this happen? In 1868, the New York City Department of Charities and Correction purchased Hart Island for the purpose of opening a workhouse for older boys housed at the House of Refuge on Randalls Island. The Union Army had set up barracks to train soldiers and incarcerate Confederate prisoners of war on Hart Island. After the war ended, the U.S. Sanitary Commission helped to establish new sanitary codes in New York City. These codes prohibited the opening of new burial grounds in Manhattan. Potter's Field on Ward's Island closed in 1868, and City Cemetery on Hart Island opened in 1869. Within three years, the city adopted the system of barrels used by the U.S. Sanitary Commission during the Civil War. Wooden barracks on Hart Island were used to house older prisoners from Blackwell's Penitentiary, and younger inmates traveled by steamer with the dead from Bellevue Hospital. The Department of Charities and Correction was a new agency that included Bellevue Hospital as well as Blackwell's Penitentiary. The two agencies split into separate agencies in 1895, as part of the new city charter, and both remained on the administrative code for Hard Island. It wasn't until 2019 that the Department of Parks and Recreation replaced corrections, and the Human Resource Administration, the current agency that grew out of the Department of Charities, was ordered to set up an Office of Burial Services, just in time to provide services during COVID. By law, New York City is required to provide a decent burial for all unclaimed human remains. The work of the Heart Island project has been to reconnect the city of New York to city cemetery by reintroducing storytelling. We developed software to encourage people to stop the clocks of anonymity for each person buried since the AIDS epidemic. This effort was effective in showing that people buried on Hart Island are not forgotten and the public has a right to visit their graves. The next step was to show that the burials conducted by prisoners as part of their sentencing would never qualify as decent. Shame is an inherent part of any prison. Any contact with the penal system is shameful to families of the buried. Requiring the public to register with the Department of Correction to visit a grave stigmatizes the cemetery as a whole and defeats the purpose of a cemetery, which is to reconcile death, to mend the holes in the social fabric, so to speak. Now that penal control of Hart Island has ended, we are left with the difficult task of lifting the stigma of 150 years of inappropriate management of city cemetery. That doesn't mean that the burial should end or the cemetery in Hart Island should close. Clearly, we need these burials to continue because land in private cemeteries is expensive and cremation involves a lot of fossil fuel. Hart Island will have plenty of new burial space once the prison buildings are removed. The burials on Hart Island disproportionately affect low-income people of color. If the city closes Hart Island for burials, communities may once again lose access to grave sites because it seems unlikely that a new public cemetery would open within the five boroughs. But more importantly, closing a cemetery doesn't reconcile the history. The burials on Hart Island reflect how we live in New York City, close together in diverse communities. The burial process is tied to many generations of New Yorkers. This is what I discovered on my first visit to Hart Island as an American on a cold and rainy day in November during the AIDS epidemic. What I saw were little tokens of hope left by the inmates. Today when I visit, I see little gifts brought by families and friends from around the world who gather together at the dock to visit the graves. The more this happens, the more people will see for themselves that Hart Island isn't a dark, forgotten place, unless we let it be that way. So I encourage everyone to find someone you know who is buried on Hart Island and add a story about that person and visit their grave. Don't expect it to look like other cemeteries with individual monuments. What you will experience is a nineteenth century rural cemetery that matches the diversity of the city and our goals for a green and sustainable future. Someday soon, Hart Island, we hope, will be a national monument. So please feel free to contact me and join the Heart Island Project. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Sights and Sounds. Be sure to check out the rest of the series, available on Apple Podcasts and GothamCenter.org, where you can also learn more about the rest of our programming here at the Gotham Center for New York City History. Post-production for this season was provided by Garrett Tiedemann and Gabriella Montequin for Citizen Race Car. Special thanks to Dina Ecker for helping the making of this episode, too. I'm your host and the show's producer, Peter Christian Eigner, director of the Gotham Center for New York City History at the Graduate Center City University of New York. Be safe, everyone, and enjoy Open House New York Weekend.